Okay. This is the Prolegomena at the very beginning of the commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism by Zacharinus Ursinus. So this is the Prolegomena with reference to the Catechism of the Christian religion which was prepared for and taught in the schools and churches of the Palatinate. These prolegomena are partly general, such as treat of the entire doctrine of the church, and partly special, such as have respect merely to the catechism. The general prolegomena concerning the doctrine of the church may be included in the following questions. And we're going to look at number one. One, what is the doctrine of the church? Two, what are the parts thereof, and in what do these parts differ from each other? Three, wherein does the doctrine of the church differ from that of the various sects and from philosophy, and why these distinctions should be retained? Four, what are the evidences of the truth and certainty of this doctrine? And five, what are the various methods of teaching and studying this doctrine? Number one, what is the doctrine of the church? And that is what I am going to look at this session. The doctrine of the church is the entire and uncorrupted doctrine of the law and gospel concerning the true God, together with his will, works, and worship, divinely revealed and comprehended in the writings of the prophets and apostles and confirmed by many miracles and divine testimonies through which the Holy Spirit works effectually in the hearts of the elect and gathers from the whole human race an everlasting church, in which God is glorified both in this and in the life to come. Period. This doctrine is the chief and most expressive mark of the true church, which God designs to be visible in the world and to be separated from the rest of mankind, according to these declarations of Scripture. Keep yourselves from idols, which is, I think, is First John five twenty one. Come out from among them and be ye separate, Second Corinthians six seventeen. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your houses, neither bid him Godspeed. 2 John 10 Be ye holy, touch no unclean thing, ye that bear the vessels of the Lord. Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her plagues. Isaiah 52.11 There's also Revelation 18.4 But maybe there was a missing quote there because one of those is, has got two, two references. God wills that his church be separate and distinct from the world for the following considerations. First, on account of his own glory. For as he himself will not be joined with idols and devils, so he will not have his truth confounded with falsehood, 
and his church with her enemies, the children of the devil, but will have them carefully distinguished and separated. It would be reproachful to God to suppose that he would have and acknowledge as his children such as persecute him. Yea, it would be blasphemy to make God the author of false doctrine and the defender of the wicked. For what concord has Christ with Belial? That's 2 Corinthians 6.14. Secondly, on account of the consolation and salvation of his people, for it is necessary that the church should be visible in the world that the elect scattered abroad among the whole human race may know with what society they ought to unite themselves, and that being gathered into the church, they may enjoy this sure comfort, that they are members of that family in which God delights, and which has the promises of everlasting life. For it is the will of God that all those who are to be saved should be gathered into the church in this life. Out of the church there is no salvation. How the church may be known, and what are the marks by which it may be distinguished from the various sects, will be shown when we come to speak regularly upon the subject of the church. We may, however, here say that there are three marks by which the church is known. Purity of doctrine, the proper use of the sacraments, and obedience to God according to all the parts of this doctrine, whether faith, whether of faith or practice. And if it here and if it be here objected that great vices have often made their appearance in the church, we would reply that these are not defended and adhered to by the church, as by the various sects. Yea, the church is the first to censure and condemn them. Hence, if there are faults in the church, these are disapproved of and removed. As long as this state of things lasts, so long the church remains. Two. Let's do two. What are the parts of the doctrine of the church and in what do they differ from each other? The doctrine of the church consists of two parts, the law and the gospel, in which we have comprehended the sum and substance of the sacred scriptures. The law is called the Decalogue, and the gospel is the doctrine concerning Christ the mediator and the free remission of sins through faith. This division of the doctrine of the church is established by these plain and forcible arguments. 1. The whole doctrine comprised in the sacred writings is either concerning the nature of God, His will, His works, or sin, which is the proper work of men and devils. But all these subjects are fully set forth and taught either in the law or in the gospel, or in both, 
Therefore the law and gospel are the chief and general divisions of the holy scriptures and comprise the entire doctrine comprehended therein. 2. Christ himself makes this division of the doctrine which he will have preached in his name when he says, quote, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. End quote. That's Luke 24, 46 and 47. But this embraces the entire substance of the law and gospel. 3. The writings of the prophets and apostles comprise the Old and New Testament or covenant between God and man. It is therefore necessary that these principal parts of the covenant should be contained and explained in these writings, and that they should declare what God promises and grants to us, viz. his favor, remission of sins, righteousness, and eternal life, and also what he in return requires from us, which is faith and obedience. These now are the things which are taught in the law and gospel. 4. Christ is the substance and ground of the entire scriptures. But the doctrine contained in the law and gospel is necessary to lead us to a knowledge of Christ and his benefits. For the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, constraining us to fly to him and showing us what that righteousness is, which he has wrought out, and now offers unto us. But the gospel professedly treats of the person, office, and benefits of Christ. Therefore we have in the law and gospel the whole of the scriptures, comprehending the doctrine revealed from heaven for our salvation. The principal differences between these two parts of the doctrine of the church consist in these three things. 1. In the subject or general character of the doctrine peculiar to each, the law prescribes and enjoins what is to be done and forbids what ought to be avoided, whilst the gospel announces the free remission of sin through and for the sake of Christ. 2. In the manner of the revelation peculiar to each, the law is known from nature. The gospel is divinely revealed. 3. In the promises which they make to man. The law promises life upon the condition of perfect obedience. The gospel on the condition of faith in Christ. And the commencement of new obedience. Hereafter, however, more will be said upon this subject in the proper place. Let's stop it right there.